We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. John McKechnie, Mario Puig here with you. We are continuing our series of position by position breakdowns for the upcoming rookie class. We are about a week away from the combine getting started. We've put out a couple pods talking about the receivers thus far. We're going to shift gears now, go to the top, the tippy top of the running back class. Mario, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, John? Oh, you know, it's Thursday. It's, it's almost the weekend. Is that good? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's good because we're here doing this podcast that we do on Thursdays. But you guys already knew that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I feel like this running back class, the discussion really starts and ends with the top three because, I mean, obviously with Travis Etienne opting to go back to school, Chuba Hubbard of Oklahoma State also opting to go back for his senior year. Um, this class maybe not as deep as we were anticipating as far as that top tier goes, but the the first three, uh, whether it's De- however you order it, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, a pretty good trio here to start things off. Certainly, uh, uh, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of what we had coming in last 
last year. Yeah, I think we can take some time to acknowledge that there's a lot of people, like maybe even the consensus in the online dynasty football community is that DeAndre Swift is the number one running back. I personally reject that. I, I really don't believe it at all. It's a little different for me if we want to say like maybe I'm too high on Jonathan Taylor as the first running back because even I'm starting to wonder that a little bit. Uh, just because like in the last top 60 that I posted, I had Jonathan Taylor as the first tier and then the second tier began with Dobbins, Lamb. But that got the clicks though, baby. So Oh, did it? Um, I, I mean, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't meant to be uh, inflammatory. No. <laughs> I was actually surprised. Like I, I was just kind of working on this stuff, and then I look around on the internet after I posted it, and I was like, what the hell are you people talking about, Deion? I, I just assumed everybody saw, thought the same thing as, as I did. Uh, that was not the case, and uh, it's, it's kind of um, – this keeps happening every year, I, I realize. Like last year it was David Montgomery, and I'm, I'm like, what the hell are you people talking about? Like why are you all such big – david montgomery heads this year the david montgomery people love deandre swift not that the players are similar they're not it's uh it's more like this is just what happens when there's certain influential voices and and kind of like publications in the dynasty football community that release rankings and then other people just kind of start taking them up as their own um but jonathan taylor for me is clearly the top running back however i'm thinking maybe maybe i should make him in the first tier but not not the first tier like maybe i should move up dobbins and swift and judy and lamb to the first tier because i'm not worried about jonathan taylor as a pass catcher in the nfl i think he'll be annually contending for the league rushing title and anything he does as a receiver is basically gravy at that point i'm a little bit worried because i i did overlook this initially to be totally honest i'm a little bit worried about his fumble issues yeah uh, i still have him as the top player in the class like I'm, I'm not really willing negotiating willing to negotiate that at this point but it is a lot 18 fumbles in his career it basically projects to it basically equates to uh something similar to what adrian peterson was doing early in his vikings career and he ended up correcting that but it is a little alarming i have to admit to kind of say uh well if he's as good as adrian peterson then it won't be an issue at all i think he will probably improve it a little bit um but that is a leap of faith on my part it's just a leap of faith i'm willing to make because jonathan taylor is the best pure runner in this draft like there's no question about it in my opinion i think we can expect him to show up at about 220 at the combine even if he's a little bit less than that like he's listed at 219 this year like he just looks and plays like he's bigger than that um, so it's 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 not like he's he doesn't compare to most other 219 pound backs, whichever uh, people qualify for that. So um, what about him as the pure runner uh, has you so sold? Well, it's it's both the volume and the explosiveness and the efficiency in the numbers. It's great to see volume like 19 or sorry, 1,977 yards, 2,194 yards, 2,003 yards. Those are his rushing totals in three years and his rushing averages per carry in those same three years is 6.6 7.1 and 6.3 like he would have a very impressive profile a compelling first round case even if his rushing averages were more like 5.3 or 4 yards per carry to be going around seven yards a carry while taking the offense that far right is insane and over that kind of volume and some people will say this is a reason to worry about taylor because he had about 300 carries in each of those three years um but to me that's part of the selling point is like he did not slow down ever he was just stomping over everything for three years 300 carries each year it's an infallible sample size i think and if he's the kind of athlete that we have reason to believe that he is um then you know he's a former track guy and he, he you turn on the tape part of the reason he has such a high rushing average because he just runs away from everybody over and over and over 
And uh, part of that is because he has real speed and he should test. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to put like unfair expectations, but I would be shocked if he ran worse than like a four four seven at like two hundred and twenty pounds. I'm kind of expecting okay. like two eighteen to two twenty five. I guess maybe, but probably lower four fours sooner than I would bet on anything worse than like a four four eight. Uh, he could be right around four four flat because uh, Bruce Feldman, I think it was, said that he had a. I want to say it's a one point four four second ten yard split. And Saquon Barkley ran the four three eight or whatever he did at uh, a one five four. I want to say uh, Saquon could have made that number because he's so much faster from the twenty to forty part. But basically, we have reason to believe that Taylor is faster in ten yard splits than Saquon Barkley is. And people always laud Barkley for his burst, right? So yeah, totally. And part of, part of what uh, you know, Barkley's also uh, 10, 10 pounds heavier or something like that. So it, it's not to say like I don't mean to say like Taylor is a better athlete than Barkley because he almost certainly isn't, but. He's close enough combined with the production that he showed that it's, I think, totally obvious this guy is going to run all over everybody. Okay. I, I mean, I think you laid out a really great case there. Um, like you said, the sample size, three years uh, from the second he stepped on campus being the best running back at Wisconsin. And also, I mean, the, the context of every team knowing that when they go against Wisconsin, the, the, it, the discussion starts and ends with stopping Jonathan Taylor and they still couldn't do it, you know, time and time again, you know, the Michigan game this year, I thought was like the, the best example of that. Uh, he was pretty killer in that game, killer pretty much every single game this year, but the, the fumbles do rear their head, ugly head on occasion there. But I think you may make a compelling case for him being RB one. And you know, the, the complaint that maybe he's not a great pass catcher, it's, it's smoothed over the, the same way it's smoothed over for like a Nick Chubb. So that, and, uh, I do think Chubb is a way better pass catcher than Taylor was, but uh, I, I think that um, part of part of Taylor's rawness as a receiver is probably just due to like how many reps he takes at at a you know out of the backfield as a runner because you can't catch three or four passes a game if you're getting thirty carries a game like you you get three or four catches in a game when you're getting eighteen or nineteen carries sure. so they literally just did not have room to budget pass catching room. Uh, pass catching work for for jonathan taylor so uh you can see similar things with guys like uh james connor i guess is the best case scenario like he didn't really catch passes at uh pittsburgh he's one of the better pass catching running backs in the nfl interesting point part of why he was able to grow is because a he started getting the reps and b he was like a good enough athlete functionally to do it and if jonathan taylor tests as a top grade athlete and if we see that he's like a flexible relatively coordinated person then i'm just going to go ahead and assume he's going to start catching passes better if we start actually have him catch passes yeah because i mean in the nfl they're not going he's not going to play in an offense where they are feeding him 30 times every single game there will be you know touches budgeted for him in the passing game yeah the, the kind of workloads he was taking at wisconsin are not at all sustainable no that, that's that's like eddie george times maybe you know yeah, so, yeah. so it he doesn't exist anymore. he would like break jamal anderson's record every year or something like that yeah so not not really a thing in today's NFL. Let's move on to the the next two guys. So it sounds like you have Dobbins over Swift right now. Yeah, and it's not something that I feel strongly about, but it's just I I don't know how we can really project DeAndre Swift for this dominant NFL fantasy production unless we can project him among the league's leaders and workloads. Because if he's not among the leaders and workloads, then we are we're specifically requiring him to be as efficient and explosive as someone like Alvin Kamara, like a total 
uh, anomaly, like something that's basically an unfair expectation. Uh, so part of it was Swift, uh, and this is basically just a, like a tiebreaker for me. It's not even that I'm especially worried about his ability to take a big workload, but we don't have any worries about Taylor and Dobbins taking big workloads. Like they did it. Uh, I guess Dobbins might have gotten a little nicked up in 2018, but if yeah, he, he wasn't nearly as good in 2018. Yeah, if he was, if he was hurt, he played through it, and you know that's something. Uh, Swift. It's it's not like a toughness thing or anything, but Swift like picked up a bunch of injuries despite not taking a huge workload at Georgia. Oh, bless you. And uh, he's he's got an average of sixteen carries per game in in uh, two thousand nineteen. To be fair, that might be more like eighteen per game because one of those games or, or two of those games he only had uh, three, three combined carries, carries in week fifteen and week seventeen when he was trying to play through the shoulder injury. Even before that shoulder injury this year, he had like a dual hernia. Yeah, after his freshman after his freshman season, he had uh, sports hernia surgery on both sides. And there was something with his leg. I feel like either in this training camp or something during last year. But the point is, he hasn't taken big workloads, and some people are saying that that's a positive, and it's not really right you're drafting this guy this high you're probably running him into the ground in his rookie contract anyway or has anyone not paid it you know like uh yeah you got to get a running back in the first round who plays 14 years because that's going to be so fun for picking up derrick henry's second contract it's like every contract that you look at at the league that's second contract for a running back it's gone badly lately yeah buyer's remorse by like the second year of it yeah so they're like well deandre swift's going to be able to play 10 years and taylor might start breaking after six and it's like that's almost what they want right like anyway uh deandre swift he's he's really convincing on the tape like he looks explosive definitely balanced you know fast feet uh really good pass catcher he should test totally good but I just kind of expect Taylor to test really well. I think Dobbins is probably the worst athlete of the three, but he shows some speed sometimes. Uh, he's not he's not as like quick and springy as Taylor, and especially not as swift. But there are times where where you see Dobbins kind of like tap into something extra when he's trying to turn a corner, and he usually gets there. So uh, you know it doesn't guarantee that he's going to run good, um, but he should be right around two hundred and twenty. Uh, not going to run Taylor fast, I don't think anyway. Um, but he should run totally adequate i could see him running faster than swift i i'm I'm a little worried that swift goes more like like a four five ish okay yeah it's tough like i have no intel and i can't tell from the tape anything especially obvious but uh yeah sometimes guys with faster feet aren't actually faster it's like they're just kind of sometimes their quickness is actually something they have because they don't have that linear uh you know whatever that linear muscle type is um but yeah swift is quick he, he can move in like short areas really well uh if he is slower than dobbins in the 40 that's pretty bad for his stock i think i could imagine uh i don't know i, I could imagine swift falling as far as the the very early third if his medicals are all, are all um at all concerning and there's nothing like chronic with him that i'm aware of like i don't think he's got any history of like bad surgeries or anything so it should be fine but sometimes we're surprised by these things it's like sony michelle's bum knee was something no one really knew about it was chubb that was supposed to have the bad knee and it was it was actually michelle uh that somehow uh had the worst one so you never know with that stuff um but generally speaking if he's five pounds less than dobbins and he runs a worse 40 i would put a like a full round between them probably okay all right that's that's pretty strong but i mean also I expect Dobbins fair. to not fall any further though than like the 45th pick uh so like this is discussing a worst case scenario for swift but i mean everybody thought alvin kamara was going to be a first round pick mike mayock was going around saying like he's definitely going in the first round and everyone went, wow we we can just take it for granted he's going in the first round now uh and kamara fell to the early third right um there was probably some like cult 
like culture character reasoning in that whereas with swift there won't be that but in any case the guy hasn't taken a, a real starting workload without getting hurt and uh, you just can't say that about Dobbins and Taylor, even though they should both test as above average athletes. Yeah, I'd be lying if I if I were to say that um, Swift's junior year wasn't a relative disappointment. I thought, you know, the path was completely clear for him to absolutely shred the SEC. I mean, obviously, he's playing in the East. Yeah. He's a guy that, you know, uh, Elijah Holyfield took on a, yeah. a lot of the carries in 2018. That's not great for Swift. No, it's not. And and for Swift to – and he was also running behind an offensive line that, has, that had three future NFL players on it, and he still kind of didn't really take off relative to his previous baselines. Uh, it was strange. It was a strange year for the Georgia offense in general. I think that you can chalk some of that up to the clunkiness of the system that they were running and Jake Fromm regressing and everything like that. But still, all things considered, it was it was strange for Swift to have as mediocre relative to what he what we thought he could do the first two years uh, as a junior heading into it. You know, heading into the draft. Yeah, and it's not as if this is an Alabama case where like Georgia doesn't let anybody get a big workload they normally do have a running when they have a start running back like todd Gurley, nick chubb even sony michelle probably put up bigger numbers i guess i guess they never really took a big workload but uh it's like they give the ball to the running back it's not like they they were keeping swift fresh they just kind of decided to not give him the ball more so uh that could be just like you know maybe they had a lot of other options and they didn't want to overwork them and maybe none of that will matter but Again, the thing for me is like even I guess I haven't mentioned this yet, but even if Swift had a perfect uh, like work or sorry, perfect like health background and a bigger volume in his production, I still don't expect him to be a 220 pounder who runs a low four four and had 2,000 yards each of the last three years. You know, so it's like he just can't catch Taylor for me. Okay, let's move on to the next uh, tier of running backs. I think the the drop off is pretty significant. I feel like I still af- like after these this, guys, but it is it is potentially big though. Yeah. Okay, so let's get on to it. Um, we have guys like Zach Moss out of Utah, uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire out of LSU, um, AJ Dillon out of Boston College, Cam Akers out of Florida State. Yeah, so I'm lower on Akers than most people. I think he could be a totally good starting running back in the NFL, but at the very least, I feel, I feel like people aren't giving enough credit to A.J. Dillon. And uh, in the tier before that was Zach Moss. It's just this guy's a 220-pounder, posted awesome pass-catching numbers last year especially, but his whole career at Utah has been a good pass-catcher. This year, catching 28 of 31 targets, I almost thought that, was, that must have been wrong somehow, but apparently it isn't. Caught 28 of 31 targets for 388 yards, two touchdowns, averaged over six yards a carry each of the last two years he does have some concerning knee uh history that is something to keep an eye on at the combine but if it comes out okay i think moss is pretty convincing he, he, he looks like he might run a four six or something like that but uh, i'm not at all worried and, and i say this as someone who was not high on david montgomery I am not at all worried about Zach Moss being another David Montgomery. I think Zach Moss is going to be really good. So let's lay that out bit as to you know what, why David Montgomery would be in this similar conversation as Moss. Well, okay. So if people are, I've seen some people compare him to uh, David Montgomery, and I, as far as I can tell, anyway, the entire basis of their reasoning is just he breaks a lot of tackles, right? And that's not a bad thing. Like it's not a bad thing to break a lot of tackles. That's not why I thought David Montgomery wasn't good. It was because David Montgomery needed to break a million tackles to average 4.4 yards per carry in the Big 12. Uh, Particularly the last two years, the Pac-12 has actually had a lot of really good defense. Oh, yeah. And Zach Moss, over six yards a carry in those two years. So he's breaking tackles, and then he's running away from people after that. David Montgomery just kept getting caught. 
And Zach Moss, the other thing is, not that this really should mean anything, but if, if my like credibility means anything to you, whenever I turned on Zach Moss's tape, I immediately thought, like, oh, that guy's a good athlete. With Montgomery, it was the opposite. I was, like, watching him, I think, like, these linebackers are, like, 30 pounds heavier than him, and they seem to run as fast as him. And that's concerning. Uh, whereas with Moss, it's, like, he's breaking tackles, and then, he, then he's... He's he's a uh, he's like springier than than David Montgomery is. Like when I when I watch Zach Moss, I I see one of like the best probably balance grades that I would give any recent running back that I can remember. And he's he's also got that uh, that kind of like ability to both anchor in a strength term and, and break tackles, but he can also kind of turn that anchor into a change of direction, spring, and kind of like jump cut on people. Um, he might run a four six or something. But I think he's going to have plenty of big playability just because of, of the number of tackles that he misses. Uh, Dave Montgomery more so kind of just broke tackles. And, and mm-hmm. Moss, I think, misses more. And he breaks just as many, if not more. And I think he's going to be faster and quicker and jump higher and jump further at a heavier weight. Okay, let's move on over to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, someone who I was skeptical of coming into this year, but LSU and, and him uh, both blew my expectations out of the water uh edwards hilaire fun player to watch uh really tough to tackle being 5'8 209 but you know also has some some quickness to him uh good pass catching ability as well i I think of him as like kind of like a thicker geo bernard type i guess is the best way i could put it i've seen some like devin singletary comps to him Mm. not i'm not sure about that one um but i mean that that one i feel like starts with the heights you have to compare every rookie to a guy who was a rookie last year that's the rule (laughs) exactly because our attention spans are short and history doesn't exist beyond two three years ago so um either way um i think that edwards hilaire can be a productive back in the NFL in his role, but I don't see him as like an RB1 necessarily. But I think like if, if he goes to a team that has like a running back by committee uh, type of deal, I think he could be totally functional. I think he could be a starter and a workhorse. I guess um, like like when we talk about these different levels of quality between some of these players, uh, some of these running backs, it's like you can think of a guy who's great in the way that Jamal Charles was great because he was super explosive and efficient with his carries. Or you could say... You know, not not that I believe this, but you could say that well, Curtis Martin or somebody was better because they took a ton of carries, and you know, it's like when a pitcher gives you 250 innings or something. It's like, well, he had a 3.8 ERA. This guy had like a three, but he only had 70 fewer innings, and it's like that's kind of the trade-off with some of the stuff. I think Clyde Edwards can be that kind of like 250 inning guy who has the 3.85 ERA. Like, I don't think he can take over one game, one drive the way some of these other guys can and that includes moss like i don't think edwards hilaire has that kind of explosiveness but at a frame of 5 8 nearly 210 he is really densely built and a guy like that is just i think he's going to handle contact in, in an endurance sense better than some other running backs because it's like it's just hard to give him the worst end of a hit when he can kind of duck underneath you and kind of just brace for it in ways that you can't like it's it's just um it, it, not to say that he's going to be invincible or something but it's just like he, he can kind of like take hits and not slow down over a game or so i'm you know reasoning based on his frame and his frame is weird like it's not common to find a guy who's as heavy as he is at five foot eight and it's definitely not common to find a guy with that kind of density who can at least on the tape that i watched uh pick up passing down functions the way edwards hilaire can like he seems totally natural at it like i would guess nfl ready not that i'm an expert on that kind of thing 
uh, or anything else. But in his pass catching production, he's also very good. Like fifty five catches on sixty six targets for four fifty three. Um, it's it almost reminds me of like Emmett Smith or something like that. Like where it's like you don't you don't have reason you like you would never take him over Barry Sanders or whoever uh, you know Jonathan Taylor whatever the analogy is. Um, but you could imagine him having like more more touches from scrimmage over an eight year sample, something like that. Uh, but, uh, and if you consider, you know, the big workload for Taylor, a negative Edwards Hilaire only had one year over 200 carries uh, mm-hmm. in his third season. So he, he's, he's, I think both built to withstand workload. And I, I don't think he's taken that much on yet, but because he can function in so many parts of an offense, you know, first, second, third down, hurry up, whatever, t- whatever situation he can play. And he might be able to be like the best guy on his team at those functions and thus take up a huge workload and be useful in fantasy. Uh, what do you make of the lack of production from the earlier parts of his career? Do you think that's more attributable to just LSU in general kind of playing in an arcane style? I mean, he he had 100 carries less basically than Nick Brossett a couple years ago and only averaged like 0.18 uh, yards per carry more than Brossett, both of them pretty mediocre in 2018. I mean, it just feels like there's a little bit of production elevation from Edwards Hilaire just based on LSU's system just exploding this past year. Oh, for sure. Uh, it's. I wish he had gotten more carries in 2017 when Geis and Darrell Williams were still there because he did badly at a glance. It says 3.4 yards per carry, but that's nine carries, so it just doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, in 2018, he had fewer carries than Nick Brossett, who is two years older, uh, two, two seasons eligibility-wise older, I should say. Uh, he was negligibly better on a per carry basis 4.5 to Brissett's 4.3 so that's that's also like an understandable concern like like you raised i take some solace though in the fact that in 2019 even though the system definitely elevated him he still outproduced those other running backs and those guys were young so it's you know that that does matter um but still Edwards Hilaire had 200 plus carries and he was at about 6.6 yards per carry whereas John Emery Chris Curry they combined for uh, what it was seventy, about eighty carries, and they're both at like five exactly per carry. Uh, Tyrion Davis Price, I guess, at four point six. Is that a fullback? Uh, I'm not totally sorry sure. if that's a fullback. Everybody, don't don't compare Edwards Hilaire to the fullback. Uh, but in any case, he was about two or sorry, one and a half yards a carry over the other guys that year. Um, and again, I'm not really thinking of Edwards Hilaire as the the guy who's going to be a threat to break the 80 yard carry or, or have the you know uh 250 yard game it's more like he, he's a guy who i think can contribute a lot of snaps and, and pick up a lot of usage in an offense and he won't be at the kind of like per play threat level of these other guys that we have ranked ahead of him but i just i just can imagine him getting on the field quite a bit in the nfl okay let's start to make sense of aj Dillon and cam Akers then yeah, so this is tough, and, and if Cam Akers truly tests the way some people have projected, then I'll, I might have to rethink things. I'm not but, sure. I don't see the freak stuff on either. on the film, though. Yeah, I don't. I think he, I think I see a guy with like a really good broad jump, um, and that's something. But I, I don't see the the speed really. And there's that one play two years ago where he was against Virginia Tech, and he had what could have been something like an 80 yard touchdown on the left sideline, if I remember right. Yep. And somebody caught him. It was probably a. Def- it was almost certainly a defensive back, but somebody still caught him, and they didn't have an angle on him. They they caught up with him from behind, and basically, fast running backs I think score on that play. Okay. Uh, he got caught, which makes me think he might be like a low to mid four five guy. But some people think he's going to run like low four four 
with a 40-inch vertical. I can see a 40-inch vertical in like a 130-inch broad jump, which would be good and encouraging. Of course. Um, but I, I think he's going to be like a 4.55 or something like that. And uh, that's not bad. That's totally fine. But in Akers' case, he doesn't have the high-level production that even if it was one year, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's worst numbers at LSU look like Cam Akers' best numbers <laughs> at Florida State. <laughs> which, I mean, Akers could still be the better player because, of course, that Florida State offensive line sucked. But it's just, like, he wasn't that much better than Jock Patrick or somebody like that either. Um, and that guy's in the XFL. So I think that uh, Cam Akers, to me, is a second or third round pick. He was the number one running back recruit in his class. Um, but he's not a like a Lorenzo Booker. He's not that kind of number one running back recruit at Florida State. Like he's better than that, but he still might not be. Uh, I don't know. It. I have to admit this. I would put him in about the same category that I had Miles Sanders in uh, before the draft. Okay. And Miles Sanders turned out to be very productive. I don't know if I expect Acres to be quite. I, I expect. Yeah, I don't expect him to be quite that fast, but I or quick really. But I can imagine him being a little heavier than Miles Sanders and uh, kind of having a similar, uh, I don't know, just just general athletic profile. And uh, I don't expect him to fall past the third in any case. So I'm putting kind of a lot of pressure on myself with that Dylan projection by basically predicting that he won't be a fourth round pick. He'll go in the first three rounds. And no one really believes that right now. The thing is, I can't figure out why not. Okay. Because the guy should weigh in at about... Uh, 245 pounds. Uh, hang on, let me let me find his his tweet saying whatever it was. Uh, okay, so he said, "Save this tweet." So I did, and oh, good. it says 447 in the 40, 41 inch vertical at 245 pounds. <laughs> if that's if that happens, that's insane. Yeah, and the guy is basically like uh, not even a poor man's. He's like a middle. Or he's like a middle class man's Jonathan Taylor at that point because. The volume variable is utterly convincing in his case, too. Uh, he took so many carries for Boston College, and it was kind of similar to Taylor's case in that like, the defense didn't really care about anybody else on that team. But it was even more obvious in the Boston College case that it was going to Dylan. Uh, so he, he didn't get much work as a pass catcher either. But uh, with 845 carries at 5.2 yards per carry on Boston College, and then at 245, if he can run like that at that sort of weight sorry that guy's gonna be a problem in the nfl like this is that's kind of derrick henry yeah, sort yeah. of territory even though he's not as tall uh he, he would have even better uh an even more dense body mass index than derrick henry i think if he if he's six one two forty five, or maybe not it, it would be about the same in any case and the four four seven if that happens that four five four at 248 i think is what derrick henry was which is insane and and, and dylan may if, it, if his own numbers are right he may be a threat to post better numbers than that. And he was really productive in college. And if you turn on the tape, he runs away from defenses constantly. So I think that 4-4-7 is real. Um, he, it might be in his interest to lose like 5 pounds, maybe even 10. Because I think he can basically be like a faster James Conner. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, he uh, he was unbelievable his all three years there, and uh, like you said, if the if those testing numbers you know do come to fruition there, and you have the production uh, profile on top of it, then yeah, I think people are going to need to start paying attention to him a lot more, and I think that people will start to see people catch up to you in the sense of having Dylan ranked ahead of like people your Cam makers. I've seen people rank him as a fullback uh, and like as a sixth round pick almost. They, always. They, I mean, they must just see the weight and and the height and just move on without looking at anything yeah. else there because 
yeah, the thing is, if you turn on the tape, it doesn't take long. You don't no. you don't watch the tape, especially if you turn on this highlights. You don't watch that and go like, I can't tell if this guy's fast. You, you watch it and you go like, Whoa, what does that guy run in the forty? And you're like, Oh, was, somebody saved this tweet of his. It says four four seven. It's like, Oh wow, yeah, I see why he's faster than these guys, and and wow, he's bigger than them too, isn't he? Yeah, he's like thirty pounds heavier than these guys. Yeah, so someone described him as like a refrigerator filled with cement uh, that. But like can run really like fast at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> for cement refrigerators. Yes, precisely. Yeah. So uh, I I love that like just physical imagery. Um, I'm into it. So I mean, I, I hope he tests well. I think I think that uh, that'd be amazing to see someone of that build. Like it's just so unique. You don't really see that all too often. Uh, let's move on to a guy very different uh, style uh, yeah. from AJ Dillon. That's Anthony McFarland out of Maryland. Someone who I think. There are some people that that are hip to him. Other people, he is falling way below their radar. Um, I think people need to pay a little bit closer attention to him, though. Yeah, I can't quite figure out how aggressive I should be. Like, I I, I can't tell how aggressive I should be about Dylan. And, and McFarland is similar. Like, I basically am ranking them lower than I feel like I should because I'm a coward. But I, it, on some level, it's like a it's irresponsible of me to to approach the territory of ranking him the same as Cam Akers because. Even if Anthony McFarland is fast, and he looks very fast, he should be like a low 4-4 at worst, and he plays more like a 4-3-5 kind of running back. It's like, he needs to be that fast if he's 20 pounds lighter than, or sorry, if he's uh, 15 pounds lighter than Cam Akers. Like, he needs to have that much more speed than Cam Akers to gain ground on him. And since I have no reason to believe Akers will test poorly, I can't quite make the objective argument, I don't think. But when I watch McFarland's tape, it's it's like... Uh, it takes less time when you turn on McFarland's tape to find a play where he looks good than it does with Acres. It's mm. like Acres you have to sit through just like nothing, nothing, nothing. Like, oh, that was a pretty nice 25-yard run. And with McFarland, it's like even on his bad carries, you're like, well, he got – well, he looked really fast and quick before he got tackled at least. And with with Acres, there's some plays where it just kind of seems like he, he takes the handoff into the defense almost. Sure. And uh, with McFarland at least – it's like he'll he'll make someone chase him a little bit before he gets tackled for a loss. Um, with that said, you know being five foot, listed at five foot nine, one ninety eight, I should say, uh, that's going to limit your workload projection quite a bit. And if you're a limited workload projected kind of guy and you don't get drafted in the first two or three rounds, then at that point you're kind of just at the political risk of getting marginalized from the game plan because of the team that takes you doesn't need to justify the pick that they spent on you as much. Um, so if he fell to like the fifth round, that would be discouraging. That's the kind of thing that on a sort of objective level would make you say, ah, I guess not this year, you know, like there's, there's a chance that he doesn't go that late though. I think there's a chance that he goes as soon as the second round. I mean, if he, if he weighs, if he's like five, eight, 200 pounds and he runs a four, three, eight or something like that, I would put him safely ahead of Justice Hill as a prospect. And okay. He didn't put up anywhere near the volume that Justice Hill did at Oklahoma State, so I might, I could simply be wrong for doing that. But McFarland was good. He was a redshirt freshman uh, two years ago, right, when he ran for 1,000 yards. 2018, yeah. Yeah, on 7.9 yards per carry, and then last year on a cursed team, still went for 5.4 yards per carry, also had eight touchdowns on 114 attempts, so you can imagine, uh, you know, four four of those runs if if there was open field available he might have juiced his rushing average back up towards six or something like that if the end zone didn't stop him there um but yeah when you turn on the tape uh he looks like a very fast guy like a, a burner type but not f- for a lack of quickness or start stop or change of direction like those look good too 
So if he has all of that, and especially if the quickness and you know the broad jump, if all of those are plus grade also, then all you have is a top grade athlete who is one of the most productive players on a per touch basis in this class and who's going to argue against picking that player no exactly so there's a lot to like when it comes to anthony mcfarland i think especially if you look at his film from or his his old profile from two years ago his retro freshman season watch his ohio state game absolutely insane we we can only guess how fast these guys are uh, based on the tape but it doesn't get much more uh, reliable like you, you can't really isolate the speed variables much better than watching a guy try to outrun one of the f- fastest defenses in the country and he ran away from ohio state's defense twice <laughs> at least okay yeah if, if, there might have been a third time too but it, it wasn't just like oh the defense didn't tackle him and now he's running away it was like you four try to catch this guy okay and go and like each time they couldn't catch him yeah so Still mad that Maryland didn't win that game. Um, but, yeah, uh, there's McFarland, a really interesting guy. I think that he's someone that, that will raise his stock um, at the combine. I think you have some legit concerns, though, when it comes to that frame potentially knocking down uh, that projection workload variable, like you were saying. Uh, who would you like to get into next here? Because there's a pretty big drop-off as yeah. far as the Debbie rankings after that. I guess I should say most people, most people, I think, rank uh, some – order some combo of Keyshawn Vaughn and LaMichael Pirine. Uh, that's Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt, LaMichael Pirine from Florida. I think those are the consensus next two running backs for most people. For me, I put them in the next tier, but I put a few guys ahead of them for s- some reasons. Maybe they're good, maybe they're bad. But uh, DJ Dallas is one of those guys that I had in the same tier, effectively ranking him in the same place, but I, I tie broke in his favor because he's a guy who should be pushing 220 pounds and he should uh, be one of the better bets to run like in the 4-4 range among the running backs in this class and even though he might be one of the the heavier ones uh, he has uneven numbers at best at Miami he didn't play that much running back actually like I guess he spent some time early in his career playing receiver and early in his career he was thought of as an athlete rather than a running back right so uh, he does he hasn't had that many reps but he's been explosive on the reps that he did get, and especially last year, uh, six yards a carry the year before that, basically splitting carries with Travis Homer, uh, 5.7 yards a carry. So if he is as fast as he sometimes looks, and if he has room to grow with more reps, then I could see him kind of just turning into a better player than P. Ryan and Vaughn, even though P. Ryan and Vaughn, we have more reason to believe, are better right now. Um, a guy that I put ahead of them also, and this is kind of opposite logic of dj dallas because uh i have michael warren ahead of vaughn and p ryan too and this could be this could be bad for me because i have him ahead of them because he's up over 220 pounds basically okay Uh, whereas p ryan came into the senior bowl at 211 vaughn at 205 i really thought p ryan would be more like 218 i especially thought vaughn would be at least 215 because i think he actually was listed at 218 by vanderbilt or something like that so that 205 was disappointing um, maybe he's faster for it. We'll see at the combine. Like if if you lose some weight, it's okay if you get faster. Uh, so he that's not like a death sentence of any kind. Uh, but you know more pressure on his forty now. Uh, Definitely with, with Warren though. I mean, I am pretty sure he's going to run a four seven. And uh, yeah. So is he going to be like a Holyfield? I was going to say like he's. I have to compare him to Holyfield, but also I'm kind of becoming a Holyfield truther again. Let's go. Uh, just okay. Because, just because uh, he actually was really young. Even, even now, I don't know if Holyfield's 22 yet. Uh, and I don't know. He doesn't look like a 4'9 guy on the field. It's like 
he ran away from somebody, I'm pretty sure, like one time at least. Uh, so uh, I, I think it, there is that risk. Uh, but Michael Warren is interesting because, like, and, and I'm rationalizing his his kind of modest rushing average per carry with his high touchdown count. Uh, so he only averaged 4.8 yards per carry, which is generally not good enough for me. It, it helps that he's over 250 carries. Like, if, if you're going to have a low yard per carry average, at least have a ton of carries okay. to blame it on. Uh, but he also has a lot of touchdowns to blame it on. In the last two years, uh, 5.4 yards a carry in 2018, by the way. So let's just call it five between the two years. And in those two years, on almost exactly 500 carries, he's got 34, uh, thir- sorry, 33 touchdowns. So, you know, he's yeah, he's right at five, but I'm just kind of... What if what if he was in an offense where he uh, was not close enough to the end zone to get I don't know ten of those touchdowns? What if he only had uh, ten touchdowns per each of the last two years? Like maybe he would have had more field to run with. Like maybe a couple of those touchdowns uh, he actually ran away from everybody, but there just wasn't any field left. Maybe he's up to five and a half, five point eight, something like hmm. that in that case. So uh, for a guy who I'm splitting hairs between, you know, day three at best picks anyway, as far as I'm concerned, sure. I, I kind of I've got to let in somebody for, for who's got an uneven profile for some reason. But because he has the frame and also this is important. I thought Warren looked really good in passing down functions like he, he looked to me like a really good blitz pickup uh, kind of guy. So I could imagine him endearing himself to some team for that. But he does probably need to run a four six eight at worst, and I'm, I'm kind of worried that he's going to do worse than that. So I, I might regret ranking him this high. Okay, yeah, the you know coming from Cincinnati, you know you you want a little bit more like explosive production, and and like you said, maybe we can have some adjustments there. Maybe he's closer to being like that five and a half yards per carry guy. Hard to say exactly, but uh, you know. He was a he was a good college fantasy football player. I, I just don't really know if I, if I love his, the way that he's going to transition to the next way. level. I, my my actual sincere not trolling comparison for Michael Warren is David Montgomery. But if David Montgomery had been a seventh round pick, I would have said that's a good pick. Mm. <laughs> I needed to let that one marinate there. Um, so let, let's move back. Uh, talk, talk, we mentioned P. Ryan, LaMichael P. Ryan, and Keyshawn Vaughn, but let's get into them a little bit more in depth. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for floor in this range more than upside, like you could argue that P. Ryan and Vaughn have the highest floor just because they're projected to go higher than DJ Dallas. Michael Warren, I also have Javon Leak ahead of them. He's the other Maryland running back, also looks fast, uh, but he's he's maybe more of a Jarius Norwood uh, kind of build, whereas, whereas McFarland's a short fast guy uh but i have those guys ahead of michael p ryan and vaughn but i think most people project vaughn and p ryan to be like third or fourth round picks whereas i'm imagining more like fifth sixth for them both and in p ryan's case and vaughn's case if they go that late then they need to actually get on the field somehow and they're not going to have institutional like favoritism in their and in, in their behalf because no one cares about a fifth round pick running back. Like you actually have to just look better in practice, and probably even then they won't let you play because right. every coach is stupid. But <clears throat> in any case, P. Ryan and Vaughn, if they go higher than those other guys that I mentioned, then they were the right picks because they'll get the shots first. And they were both good college players. Like Vaughn was, <clears throat> excuse me, especially in twenty eighteen, was really explosive. Uh, put up great numbers after transferring to Vanderbilt from Illinois. And then even last year when his, his efficiency fell off, he was still over five yards of carry, still looks totally good in the tape. Like there's there's nothing concerning about him. When Vaughn's case, it's just if you're 5'10", 205, you got to be kind of fast. And I'm not sh- – like the numbers from 2018 say he's fast, but – You don't think uh, he's fast? 
I just I don't want to like guess really. Like I'm not writing him off for that, but it's like because he is 205, I need him to be fast. And if if I have the question there, then sometimes that's enough to make more question than I have in a few other. Guys. I could see him matching McFarland in the 40. That would surprise me, but if it did, then it would be at once bad for McFarland in my rankings, but uh, especially good. What if they both run good ones? Well, that would be the ideal, definitely. But, I mean, if it's just that I'm expecting Vaughn to run at probably like eight pounds heavier than McFarland. Um, so if he matches him, then it, it's kind of like that's just – it's just like harder for McFarland to establish a market, I guess, because it's like Vaughn's the better version of him at that point. Um, but in any case, uh, yeah, I, I have plenty of – I have plenty of anxiety about a lot of these rankings uh, because the combine can just put it through a wood chipper, basically, depending on how wrong I am about how fast or how heavy these guys are. Um, but P. Ryan being 211, it's a similar concern. Like, he was supposed to be a 220-pound kind of back. Yeah, he plays like it. Yeah, and he looks totally good on tape. It's just that uh, his production at Florida never really went that high nope. above the baseline, and he never had volume either. So I'll say this. I think he's better than Jor- Jordan Scarlett. Uh, but I don't think Jordan Scarlett should have been a fourth-round pick last year. I thought that was one of the worst picks in the draft. Yeah, holy Scar- smokes. I, like, forgot about that. Yeah, really stupid pick. And uh, what do you know it? Uh, Reggie Bonifant is better. Uh, former quarterback, <laughs> Reggie Bonifant. Former quarterback, former receiver, probably every other position. Yeah. <laughs> Reggie Bonifant is better uh, than Jordan Scarlett, who probably has been playing running back longer. Anyway, uh, yeah, so he, he wasn't much better than, Pete, uh, than Scarlett. Uh, but Scarlett, I, I think, would have been an acceptable like seventh-round pick. So P. Ryan, for me, is on that fourth, fifth uh, kind of fence right now. And basically, however he tests at the combine w- will determine which way I, I have him lean after that. And if he comes out exactly average as an athlete, I'm probably just going to leave him there. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I'm not particularly optimistic on P. Ryan. Like, he could be like okay if he gets a chance at some point, but I'm not betting on him getting that chance in the first place. Yeah, he's one of those guys who it's like if someone assured you he would definitely get an opportunity in the NFL, you'd say, sure, why not? I, I bet he can do okay playing running back just because pretty much anybody in the NFL who's a running back, it's like if you get to the NFL as a running back, you're good enough now. Uh, that, at least that it's borderline that level of interchangeability between some of these guys. The problem is often coming down to politics. Like, are you going to get that opportunity? Uh, the answer is it's much harder to get that opportunity the later you get drafted. But if P. Ryan or Vaughn, or I don't know, pretty much any of these guys, I don't even care, if they get the chance, yeah, they'll be good. It's it's guessing who gets the chance that's the difficult part. All right, so let's round things out. I feel like we've exhausted most of the guys that, that I think are going to end up getting drafted we're here. We're in the weeds now. Yeah, we absolutely are. I mean, we're talking about guys who rank outside your top 45 uh, if we move on to this next group of guys. So Salvin Ahmed, someone who I think coming into this past season had a lot of hype, you know, Miles Gaskin being gone from Washington. I thought people or a lot of people expected him to really, really take off for Washington this past year. He was fine, but uh, dinged up, I think, a little bit in there. So not a great season for him. Tavian Feaster, I think that he could potentially surprise people with his uh, you know, like size adjusted speed uh, that he has, um, but kind of got pushed pushed aside at Clemson and didn't really take over the backfield at South Carolina uh, this past year. But you know, maybe he'll make some noise at the combine. But he beyond that, wasn't invited to the combine. Really, right? So, uh, but yeah, basically, Salvin Ahmed, Tavian Feaster, and Sewo Alonelowa. I don't know how to say it. Those guys, I put them all in this tier, uh, which is you know, fifty two through fifty fourth overall. Uh, just basically with the, uh, the category of 
guys who did not really play at any level that interests me, but have theoretically anyway athletic tools to project some sort of upside if they do miraculously develop better uh ahmed's supposed to be like a sprinter i'm kind of skeptical and i also saw a 40 time listed at a washington spring workout that was only like four four six or something like that which isn't good that like basically if that's the case then Dwayne washington is faster than him because those washington uh spring workout 40 times are usually pretty reliable um, but in any case, Ahmed, if he runs like a four three three, a four three five, then it's like, all right, you're fast. We'll we'll leave you on the roster, see what happens. And Feaster, if he's six foot two twenty and he runs like a four four flat or a four three eight, then he he kind of looks like Niall Davis on tape sometimes, where it's like some some of the reps are just so ugly. But then it's like, well, if you do give him a, a gap, he does turn into like a terrifyingly fast, huge person pretty quickly. So maybe that's something. I don't know. Uh, and then Sewo Alonalua, he's six three two forty. He's had ridiculous, you know, legendary workout numbers reported for years. Uh, never really showed up in in the production. Uh, so I'm, I'm basically assuming he's. Is, not so good. is he like Kalen Balage? I don't think he's that bad. Okay. I think Kalen Balaj is like the worst That's true. Pr- prospect I've ever seen, pretty much. Um, but uh, it is that kind of deal, though. Like, he's 6'3", 240. He's probably as athletic as Kalen Balaj. Uh, he has that one drug bust character concern, though, so I don't know what to make of that. Uh, it doesn't help. Uh, interestingly about Alo Nalua, a lot of his work seemed to be as a pass catcher, so you could kind of almost imagine him being like, I don't know, like, Use like a fullback out of the backfield, maybe even a tight end in some weird timeline. Uh, but yeah, those are the three guys that I round out with. Most people would be more interested in Eno Benjamin and Levante Bellamy, who I omitted in my top 60. Uh, I just think Benjamin's clearly another Kadeem Carey case. Like if you're 5'9, 195, you need to be fast, or you at least need to show me something like five and a half, six yards of carry in college that'll convince me like you just got something extra. And I don't see it. And uh, he was a really good college player, but I'm not even convinced that uh, he's better than Demario Richard, who who was the one of the Arizona State running backs immediately preceding him. Mm-hmm. Um, in Bellamy's case, he was listed at like five nine one ninety. He showed up to the East West Shrine game at five nine one seventy one. Oh my! Yeah. So it's interesting when you're a one hundred and ninety pound running back who runs a four two eight forty or a four three whatever it was. That's that's pretty interesting. And Levante Bellamy put up totally good rushing numbers at Western Michigan. But if you're 170, that 428 becomes less of a, an enticing thing and more like a requirement. Because if you're 170, you're too small. Basically, you need to be the fastest guy on the field for me to keep you out there. Like you, you must be Tariq Cohen now. You can't be less than that, or else you can't get on the field. And he's not Tariq Cohen. And when you turn on the tape. You can see it too. Like he doesn't look as fast as he is because he doesn't. He's kind of got that Naheem Hines thing going on. Like he, he, this is what he is. Levante Bellamy is like Naheem Hines if he was, I don't know, thirty pounds lighter, Oof. which is not good. No, like, that's not great. Um, and Naheem Hines was it was also a better pass catcher. So uh, when I when I watched the Bellamy tape, I thought he basically did not know what he was doing, and it made him a slower person than he actually is. And he he, pl- he plays with kind of like a hunch. Uh, like he, like he's like an uncertain sort of hunch, and he kind of keeps his eyes low. And by that, I mean he doesn't seem to take in the whole field like Rashad Penny or somebody like that. It's like he stares at the you know the feet of the guy in front of him, and he loses the broader picture in the process and doesn't doesn't set up a sequence of defenders to like the way that some of the 
better big play running backs do. Uh, I just don't think he has it. So, yeah, 5'9", 171. He needs to run a four two five before I'll so much as consider him like a practice watt guy. Okay, darn it. You know, I think I think both of us like coming into draft season, we're like, oh, maybe maybe this Levante Bellamy guy's gonna end up being pretty interesting. Yeah, but. I was really disappointed with his tape. Like I thought for sure, like, this is an easy one. He's fast as hell, had good enough numbers, I can get it I can get this done real quick, get on to the next player, and I turned it on, and I was like I'm not. I keep waiting for a good play to happen, and it just doesn't. Right, exactly. So uh, we'll we'll see what ends up happening with him. Any other running backs that you needed to bring up here before we wrap things up? Uh, not really. Anybody that I egregiously omitted here? No. I mean the the combine list is is pretty comprehensive, and I, I really do feel like once we get past what like r- running back not nine or ten in this class, it, it you know we're talking about guys that, that probably aren't going to end up getting drafted or getting drafted in the seventh yeah, round type so on the tcu darius anderson I, I looked at him i, I said no thanks uh, i'm trying to remember if there's anybody else that i've seen ranked i wish uh reggie corbin got a combine oh, invite yeah, he's interesting uh i mean he didn't have a good year this past year and he as a true senior i think and uh i don't know he crushed it in 2018 though it was weren't him and Keyshawn vaughn like at illinois at the same time too they might they might have been i I remember thinking like ah those guys are good but i can't remember why now yeah but Uh, corbin very very good junior season like eight yards of carry over over the like 130 camp carry sample size something like that on a terrible illinois team but uh didn't really get it together this year so we'll have to wait for like pro day stuff for him missed anybody too badly i think the players that that it would be are uh, Darrington Evans of Appalachian State, mm-hmm. who I did look at, and he had totally good numbers, but it's like, I'm not even convinced he's better than uh, Jalen Evans. Was that the guy's name? Oh, shoot. Um, the guy who had the bad leg injury. Right. Uh, oh, man. Anyway, that, the, the Jalen something or other, uh, th- that guy seemed like a better Appalachian State. Oh, Jalen Moore. That's mm-hmm. what it was. Um, I thought he was probably the better player, and he's he hasn't shown up yet. As like a, I think he's a kind of like bouncing around practice squads right now. Uh, Jamichael Hasty from Baylor is a weird one because he played, I thought, he, wasn't he a different position for a while? Like safety? Like He's been playing safety and running back, and he had okay numbers on a kind of goofy rotational offense so someone to keep an eye on i guess i don't really like josh kelly at, or sorry uh joshua kelly mm-hmm. f- walk on from like he was at uc berkeley or something like that before he was at ucla and he had low five numbers i don't think he's going to test great as an athlete uh kind of like a better rob kelly or something like that i don't know i uh, haven't seen james robinson of illinois state or raymond calais that one fast guy calais uh you know he was part of a ul backfield that was maybe the best in the country this year on a production okay. basis so i mean he's he's at least interesting he's someone that to like keep an eye on maybe yeah without knowing a single thing about him i'll say uh, i'll take him over bellamy okay just because good enough <laughs> least, for me at least raymond uh, calais is supposed to be really fast at 180 right and i think trey regas might, might be draft eligible but I, I forget if he got invited to the combine or not oh uh i don't know either but yeah i remember he was putting up nice numbers initially at, at the, two years ago he was like a, he was a big back who was putting up like eight yards of carry yeah so either way n- now we are officially into the- by uh, elijah mcguire we can't we we can't do this again darn it raging cajuns all right but that's going to wrap things up for today's show we are going to uh, record our next one on Wednesday to get a pre-combine episode in breaking down guys that we are excited to see guys with the most to prove guys with the least to prove all that good stuff so look for that uh, coming up this Wednesday but that's going to wrap things up for today's show for Mario Puig I'm John McKechnie thanks for listening to the Rotowire NFL Podcast
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.